Hello and welcome to Beer Prime, episode 64, featuring Harrogate's Roosters Brewing Co. Thanks for joining me again for another Beer Prime sponsored by White Ribbon UK. Today's guest is Tom Fozard, Commercial Director of North Yorkshire's Roosters Brewing Co., who are celebrating their 30th anniversary this year. Before I speak to Tom, I'd like to have a look at what's been happening recently in the world of craft beer. After my excitement in the last episode at not announcing any brewery closures, there have been a few more over the last fortnight. Castleford's Revolutions Brewing Co., Faking Bad Brewery from Preston Pans near Edinburgh, Salisbury's Keystone Brewery, and perhaps the biggest name brewery to close in some time, Unity Brewing Co. from Southampton. Unity's Jimmy Hatherley posted the news on Twitter last week saying that trading had been a daily battle since the first lockdown, and despite weathering many storms, the last few months of rising costs, debts, and difficult sales have made it impossible for them to continue. The bottle shop and tasting room in Southampton will continue to trade, although Jimmy suggested that it would be under a new brand. On the flip side, there has been some good news about a new opening. Dave and Naomi Haywood, owners of Windsor and Maidenhead's bars, a hoppy place, have launched a new brewery called Indie Rabble Brewing Co. Working alongside Alex Rowlands as head brewer and Alison Steele on operations and scheduling, Naomi will be joining the new startup as creative lead and Dave as sales, marketing and technical lead. Their site will be on the newly coined West Windsor Beer Mile, close to Windsor and Eaton Brewery, Two Flints Brewery, Windsor's A Hoppy Place and the Windsor Trooper. They'll be paying special attention to German-influenced lagers, both hazy and bright pale ales, kettle sours, and stouts. Well, good luck to the Indie Rabble gang, and we'll be having Dave on the podcast over the next few months to talk in more detail about the venture. Nirvana Brewery, a no-low specialist brewery based in East London, are looking to raise £750,000 from private investors. Founder Becky Keane says that they always target private investors rather than the crowdfunding method usually adopted by others in the sector. Their dry January sales were up 50% year on year with online sales shooting up to a massive 260%. The money they're seeking will enable it to expand its sales team and further develop export markets. Their beers include two new releases, Heavenly, an orange and thyme sour, and Hellish, a classic lager brewed with roasted jalapenos. And finally, I'd like to point you in the direction of a very interesting piece from Pete Brown, which is published in The Times. It can be found online and, of course, linked from Pete's Twitter account, which is at Pete Brown Beer. It's all about the new Spanish lager on the block, Madri, marketed as the soul of Madrid, but brewed in Tadcaster by Molson Coors. 
I know that you will all know or you know that Madri is not a real import, but a clever marketing trick. But I can attest to the fact that some people truly believe it to be a real Spanish brand that has made its way onto our shores. An acquaintance of mine even actually swore blind that he's been drinking Madri on his Spanish holidays for near on a decade. Well, that's impossible when you read the story. But why not read for yourself? It's a very interesting read. If you Google perhaps the headline, which is Beer Drinkers Are Mad for Madri, but how Spanish is it? Okay, a quick word from our sponsor before we settle down for a chat with Tom from Roosters. White Ribbon is the UK's leading charity engaging men and boys to end violence against women and girls. Many women in the UK craft beer industry are experiencing this violence in many forms, including sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexism and misogyny. It is not their problem to fix, it's the responsibility of us men. Me, you, your friends, your family. Here's White Ribbon trustee Dr Stephen Burrell. The fundamental idea is to get men to reflect on the role we can play in trying to prevent violence against women and girls in society from happening in the first place. Recognising that we as men and boys actually have a really positive part to play in challenging that kind of uh, violent and abusive behaviour towards women, which we can see is still far too prevalent in society. But obviously there's lots and lots of men who would never dream of using any kind of violence and therefore those of us who are totally opposed to this perhaps could and should be doing more to speak out about it. White Ribbon does provide an avenue in which men can do something about it and can play a positive role in being part of the solution. So if you feel that you want to be part of that solution, head over to the White Ribbon UK website at www.whiteribbon.org.uk and make the White Ribbon promise never to use, excuse, or stay silent about men's violence against women. Maybe even sign up as an ambassador or a champion too. Let's help make the craft beer world a safe place for women. I'm happy to welcome Tom Fozzard from Roosters Brewery to the podcast. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I am very good. Thank you for coming on and thank you for being generous with your time and with your beers, a lovely box of beers that you sent. And of that box, I'm going to start, as I know you already have in your glass, I'm going to start on Pilsner, which I do really love the pun on the name there. So while I'm pouring that, can you tell me a little bit about the history of this beer? Yeah, sure. So I'm glad you mentioned the name to start with, because um, I mean, I do my role within the business, which we'll probably touch on as we go as well um is is around the creative side i don't brew the beer i'm commercial director so i name a lot of our beers that's how i get to sort of scratch my creative itch on that side of things and then go back to a lot of the other stuff behind the scenes Mm. um but this beer years and years ago started life um it was originally called der kaiser uh it was a cask only beer we did it as a one-off um so again we'll talk about it as i come to it we being me and my twin brother who um run the brewery with our dad He's our head brewer. Um, we came up with a, an idea maybe seven years ago, I think it probably was, that we wanted to try and do use use um, lager malts and, and noble hops and create something that was, you know, in essence, a lager-style beer, but it was brewed using our house ale yeast. So it's got those sort of classic, like I say, lager malts in there and, and the sort of Czech and German hop notes. Um, but it was fermented out with our 
with our ale yeast and we put it as a cask beer. So we called it Der Kaiser, which was a name I came up with because I was watching something and Franz Beckenbauer popped up on it and I thought, well, there's a great, you know, <laughs> why not just, you know, it's a German sound, it's a German style beer, it's a German name, it's Der Kaiser, he's one of the best footballers. Uh, so we, we called um, we called it that. And then that was before we, we are where we are now with our new brewery and on-site taproom where we, uh, it, probably, it, it predated probably before we were kegging beer, maybe, I'm not quite sure on that. But um, yeah, we did it and really enjoyed it. And then uh, we had a guy, a fr- well, a guy come over from California, got introduced to us who's a brewer over there who's since become a really good friend. And um, he was telling us, he tried that beer, I think, and he was telling me about, oh, we, I did something similar, but we don't have cast beer in California. So we did, we did, uh, we actually did something really, really similar, but it, it was a pills, but it wasn't quite a pills. So we called it Pilsner. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a great name. Kind of like, okay. <laughs> and then about six months later, I had an itch that we wanted to, oh, we, again, my timing might be a little bit off, but we, we, we knew we wanted to rebrew it and we wanted to put it in cans and keg it as well. So I got back in touch with him and basically was like, that name Pilsner, how attached are you to it? And he was like, oh, it's uh, the name he came up with. It was a brewery that he'd, he'd left because he went to go and start his own brewery instead. Mm-hmm. So I was like, um, do you mind if we use it and rename our beer? And he was like, yeah, that's fine. So we now own the trademark on it. I made sure Oh, okay. UK based, you know, I'm not like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I just I just saw it for what it was. It was a really good name. It, it properly kind of. um you know, described exactly what the beer is. It's it's a a nod to a lager, but it's it's fermented with an ale yeast. Um, you know, mm. a house strain. So a house strain is really really neutral. Um, so it really kind of just allows the hops, the malt, and the, the water profile to kind of like do the thing, and the yeast yeast kind of you know is quite neutral. Mm. Yeah, no, it's um, going down very well. I think whilst you've been talking there, I've, I've polished off half of it already. It's an extremely drinkable. Loving, as you say, the the malt, the biscuity flavour coming through is just gorgeous. Really, really enjoying that. It's the best best-selling beer in our tap room. Um, mm. You know, it's gone on to become part of the core range. We we obviously can it, and yeah, I mean, we when we when we set up the tap room, we knew we wanted. We've got sixteen different lines across cask and keg in the tap room, and we knew we wanted certain beers and certain styles to be ever present because we expected people going to walk in and want to see Yankee on the bar or babyface assassin on the bar but i also kind of knew that on the business park we're on we're going to get people who aren't into beer like we are mm. going to come in after work and they're going to walk in and ask for a lager or ask for a best bitter or ask for a guinness so we made sure we tick all those boxes by doing stuff in house so pills pills near is our house pills we started out where people come in and ask for a lager and we go oh well we've got this it's 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 called Pilsner and it's you know we describe it's actually this and it's that and it's not a lager and people would try it and go yeah I'll like that now people come in and ask for a lager we don't bother we're just sort of like yeah the, we pour yeah. it for them they they, they, they accept it they, they <laughs> you know they they enjoy it so it's, it's gone really well excellent excellent you mentioned at the start that the twin brother Ol is the head brewer and of course your father Ian is a very integral part of the business as well. So it's a very much a, a family business. But also you're celebrating, Roosters are celebrating 30th anniversary this year, which is absolutely incredible. So tell us about the history, because of course it's it's two families that have run Roosters over the over that 30-year period. Let's say I'll start very briefly by mentioning, you know, you mentioned my brother Ollie, he's our head brewer. Our dad is kind of like chairman if you like or chief exec or that kind of role you know we're small mm. companies so we don't have those titles 
Um, and I, I, I sort of, like I mentioned, I'm commercial director, so I look after that side. We've owned the business just over 11 years, almost coming up to 11 and a half years. But like you say, it's 30 years old. So Roosters was founded by a guy called Sean Franklin in 1993. There's, there's some debate on exactly when it was founded. He wasn't one for record keeping, which I'll come on to in a second because it kind of ties in with a little bit of his personality, but a little bit of what he achieved as a brewer in the back in those days. But he basically, he was a, he'd studied to be a winemaker in France in the late 70s and fell at the last hurdle is, is how I've heard it told, you know, by Sean basically failed his final exams to become a you know a certified winemaker um and he he came back he came back to yorkshire um not really know what to do with himself there are some vineyards in yorkshire these days i don't think there could have been you know the climate's changed a considerable amount in the last 30 years but i don't think there were many options for him up north back in the probably early 80s it was then so yeah he became a taxi driver but still never really lost his depth of knowledge he'd acquired and he had this incredible palate he kind of eventually decided that he was having a pint of beer somewhere and started to sort of dissect it, um, you know, internal monologue, kind of like, what's creating this flavour and why is it this colour and why am I experiencing that? And he just became really, really interested in um, in understanding what was what was going on in that glass. And then roughly around the same sort of period as he started to research things, this is way before the internet and all that kind of thing, but he, he got wind somehow, he got wind of something that was going on in the States and this this small brewery in California was making a, a new pale ale that was inspired by a trip to England. Um, so they this brewer had homebrewed originally and tried to set up this, create this um, version of this English pale ale, but using the stuff he had local to him, so local malt, US hops. That beer was Sierra Nevada pale ale, um, so somehow Sean got wind of what was going on over there and they, they you know, the the use of the Cascade hop had completely kind of like transformed this beer. They didn't have um, you know, I don't know if he was looking to use Fuggles or recreate an English beer, that sort of style. So he used what was local to him and Cascade was available being grown. So um but it was just this complete never before tried kind of flavour in terms of beer. And and Sean got wind of it and really liked the idea that hop had had such an impact on it. And he started to sort of figure out that actually hops and grapes are really, really similar to one another in terms of the the environment, the climate that they're grown, you know, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, Europe versus America, kind of whichever approach, obviously it's going to impact how the what the flavour is at the end, in terms of the end product. He he took his knowledge and understanding of of grapes and wine and and started to dive into into what hops could do trying to cut a long story short or fast forward as much as possible because i know it's, it is a long story and it's worth <laughs> telling yeah I'm mind, mindful that there's lots to lots of other things to talk about yeah he, he basically set out and did that and he set up a brewery called franklin's brewery um in the town where we where we where i grew up and where we brew now but it he, he didn't get much traction with it it was cask only um you know he he, he, he turned a lot of heads locally with it but perhaps too ahead of his time at that point yeah, I, th- I definitely think a bit a bit too ahead of his time, and then they also had the um, the big six brewers at the time. Kind of had the the pubs, you know. It, it was a bit of a closed shop in terms of there weren't right. three, three of Thai pubs, so yeah, there was there wasn't a route to market. So it, I don't know how many years I was only. I was born in eighty two, so I was you know I, none of this is my memory. It's what I've been told. Um, yeah, yeah. He um he had to he he, he did it whilst continuing to be a taxi driver. So he would deliver beer in between delivering 
people to their destinations. You know, <laughs> he'd, have, he'd have a cask in the back of his in the back of his uh, car and, and deliver that and stuff. Um, but ultimately, it just it wasn't it wasn't sustainable. Um, so he had to knock it on the head. Mm. And then in 1991 or 1990, whenever it was that the the beer orders um, legislation kicked in and basically, um, you know, a movement whereby the big six breweries that owned all the pubs in the country basically were forced to relinquish control of those ties and, and yeah. have a set set number 2000 or whatever pubs it was. So um, the, the, the free free of time market really kind of opened up. So Sean decided to give it another go and started a different brewery from scratch uh, called Roosters. Mm-hmm. Um, but he carried with him that same passion and kind of research project that he he'd done those years before, yeah. Um, and started brewing much paler beers, really low color malt. Low color malts had started to be developed a bit more by then as well. So he started brewing much paler beers and and really focusing on American hops in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so there weren't many, well, there weren't any hop merchants importing U.S. hops at that time. Um, UK's focus was very much on. UK product, you know, what was being grown, Fuggles and East Kent Goldens and all that kind of thing. So Sean struck up relationships with the growers direct in the States and ended up getting certain hops shipped over. Um, so not only was he first to brew with them, he was actually the first to import them. Wow. Uh, and, and Cascade is is the one um, that really stands out because that is what went into a beer that, called, that is was called Yankee. So he called mm-hmm. it Yankee because it was the first English English beer to be brewed using new world American hops. Mm. Um, and it's still one of our best-selling beers 30 years later. Fantastic. Um, so that's kind of where Sean entered the scene, if you like. So the brewery was kind of established around 1993, I say a round of. He did all this groundbreaking, trailblazing work and ultimately became a little bit suspicious when it started to take off that people were were going to start stealing his ideas, and he, you know, he kind of done it from the ground up. So yeah. that's why I mentioned there's no real record of when the brewery was founded a lot of what he did was just kept in his head because he was worried that someone out there was paranoia set in yeah um he spent the next 18 years just developing an an incredible reputation for for the brewery locally and managed to it was established on a two-barrel kit i think and then in 2000 2001 he moved from harrogate into the neighboring town nairsborough and upsized to a 25 barrel kit so he made quite a leap and just developed the business from there, really. Um, and in the mid-2000s, he also cottoned on to something that I, to, in my knowledge, my basic kind of research and understanding is that there weren't many UK breweries who'd cottoned on to what was going on in the US in terms of beer competitions and the World Beer Cup. All right, yeah. Which is arguably the most prestigious com- competition um, mm. in the beer industry. Um, so he started entering that. And in 2006, he won gold with YPA, which is also one of our best-selling beers to this date. Mm-hmm. Um, he That competition is run every two years. So in 2008, he entered the same beer and won gold again. And then in 2010, he entered the same beer and won silver. But the only reason he won silver is because he entered a second beer, then that won gold. So <laughs> he, right. he, he, really, he really just... Not only did he blaze the trail, you know, the quality was there to back it up as well, the consistency. Um, yeah. But he, 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 what he did do very obviously was he stuck to his guns in terms of his his notion was low colour malt. We've got we're fortunate to have soft water where we are, and and a very neutral um, house yeast strain. Mm-hmm. All those kind of 
low, you know, they, they sort of sit in the background. They do their job incredibly well, but they sit in the background. And his his concept was you project the um, the characteristic of the hop against that backdrop, uh, that combined backdrop. You know, they're like the supporting act. And yeah, that is the thing that 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 um, is front and center. And and his beers, you know, I mean, I I first started drinking them in probably ninety eight. I first encountered Yankee, I think, mm-hmm. and you know that they, they they were noticeably different and and completely different flavor um to anything else out there but i think you know by modern standards whilst those recipes haven't changed but you know people's palates have developed over time and the world is a massively different place to what it was 30 25 years ago you know so uh, yeah it's you know other people have come along and and kind of picked up the baton and and, and run with it you know the the likes of thornbridge you know do an incredible job you know i mean they you know they they've been around since 2008 I want to say eight, maybe 2006. You know, they, they were a good decade behind Sean, but they really came along and picked the baton up where Sean kind of, by the, that point, had um, was, you know, head down focused on what he was doing. There wasn't really a plan for, for much growth. And I guess that kind of leads fast forward to, to, to where me and my brother and my dad kind of enter the story. Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, I mentioned we're twins. Um, I grad, well, we, we, we both left school. Um, I knew from the age of, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen. I just, I just wanted to go to university. I just knew that that was the path I wanted to take. Yeah. Not, not a particularly academic person. Just thought, looks like a nice thing to do. My brother, complete opposite. Just knew from the minute he could stop having to go to school or college or whatever, he was, he was done. Um, mm. So yeah, I went off and and did a degree in media communications. And then my brother went to the job center and ended up getting find well, landing a job at a local brewery as a trainee brewer. So okay. brewery, mm-hmm. um, which again still still going strong, um, about two or three miles away from where we are. Um, so he got a job as a trainee brewer there. Um, spent about four and a half years learning his trade and becoming a brewer. Uh, and then after that time, he ended up he'd kind of reached a point where there wasn't any room for him to kind of develop much further there um so someone kind of tapped him on the shoulder and offered him a job elsewhere which was over at copper dragon in skipton mm. um and he moved there and, it, and you know dalesides a dalesides a, a fantastic brewery it's quite small um you know it's of its time in terms of it was developed again in the early early 90s as well whereas copper dragon when they came in they had a chunk of money behind them and it was all shiny and new and a different thing and they, they had a, a much bigger kind of focus on production and you know turning over volume so he ended up going there having learned how to brew very good beers at Dalesside he went there and learned how to upscale those uh, ideas he was there for about six years and then uh, my kind of path after university was uh, worked for the student union for a bit doing events and uh, publishing moved up back up to Yorkshire and couldn't get, really get a job for a few years that I was interested in or um, and then I finally managed to get a job at a small publishing company which I absolutely loved and then about two years after getting that job the recession kicked in when the global crash kind of hit right. in 2008-2009 so I was last in first out um, mm. got made redundant from that and then I was on the dole for a bit and then managed to get a job at a pub that I'd worked at when I was 16 washing pots that, that a guy who used to be the bar fly then but we, by this point was now the manager so he kind of said oh, i've got someone on holiday for a few weeks if you want to come in and cover some shifts i know you'll do a good job so that's good 
ended up staying there for 18 months because I just really enjoyed it. Just about covered my mortgage. And at that point, started home brewing because I couldn't afford to do anything other than pay my mortgage and <laughs> go to work and, and, and didn't really have opportunity to go out and enjoy, you know, I was trying lots of beers over the bar, which I really enjoyed. So yeah, I started home brewing, really, really enjoyed it, really, really just fell for it um, as a hobby. My, I previously had tried to play the guitar, learn the guitar, don't have the patience, <laughs> the skill, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I took up a new hobby in home brewing and just really, really enjoyed it. Um, and then, so again, fast forward, maybe another, well, that 18 months, then I got a job at a local bottle shop in Leeds where I was living and just got introduced to this whole new world of, they stock, you know, this incredible range of Belgian beers, but more importantly for me, um, what really kind of floated my boat was US beers. Um, so I just got introduced to this whole world of, I'd gone from falling in, back in love with real ale, you know, Yorkshire beers, you know, mm. um, to just becoming obsessed with, with modern us beer um so i spent a lot of time encouraged by my manager to, to really just dive in and do a lot of reading and develop my ideas on homebrew and got designs on oh i could start a brewery um me and my brother were close obviously but we we didn't really talk about he he was happy doing what he was doing and i was just about scraping by with what i was doing and then i eventually drew up a business plan and went went to my dad with it because I didn't know if it was any good. Turns out it was awful. Um, <laughs> you know, he was he was um, he he was a, an entrepreneur. He'd set up his own pub company um, a few years. Well, by that point, 10, 15 years before, whatever it was. So you know, he's very very astute businessman. So I kind of went to him and sort of said, if I was to go to a bank manager with this, mm. laugh me out of the place. And he basically said, yeah, it's <laughs> no good. But what that did do was kind of reveal to him that I had designs on doing something in the industry. Yeah. What I didn't know at the time was my brother was actually becoming frustrated with where he was or certainly wanted a new challenge and had been asking my dad for some careers advice as well. And then what neither of us knew was my dad uh, was planning on selling his business. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're a close family. We don't live in each other's pockets uh, or anything like that. But we got a phone call and he, my dad had asked me and my brother to go out for dinner with him. And it's like, this is most unusual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just, we went and had a chat over a beer and he basically said, look, you've got, you know how, talking to my brother, you know how to brew beer. You, you've got 10 years under your belt now. You've got the enthusiasm for talking to me, the enthusiasm and, and experience in working, you know, works various office jobs and working in publishing. And this, I knew that, so the sort of commercial side of it, if you like, or the, yeah. the admin design side. And he said, you know, I'm about to sort of hopefully make some money on the business and semi-retire. So he, he kind of proposed to us that why don't we start a business, which was amazing. Mm. We spent about six months having that chat, working out how we, the dynamic and just, you know, doing proper, doing a proper plan for it. Uh, and then what we didn't realize, that, and I'd still to this day don't understand how, whether it was complete serendipity or whether Sean Franklin found out a different way, but he got wind that my dad was looking to do something and he at that point by that point had turned 65 and was looking to retire okay so it worked out well yeah made a phone call how do you fancy taking roosters on so we barely had to think about it because we'd been you know i've been drinking the beer since i was 16 and my dad had been buying the beer for it for his pubs since the mid 90s and mm. knew all about it knew the quality no brainer 
Um, yeah, exactly. And as you said, you were already talking about starting a brewery. So it's much better taking on something that already has a reputation. You're not having to sort of, you know, knock knock down um, all the doors to try and get a listing somewhere you know, and a tap space somewhere. You literally already had that. I mean, I, you know, at that point, Roosters was cask only. Obviously, when you guys have taken it over, you've then brought in keg, uh, bottle and can. But at that point, I mean, you know, you'd been working, the, you mentioned the bottle shop, but that was the legendary Beer Ritz um, yeah, in Headingley. Yeah. yeah. So it just sounds perfect that, you know, that, that it's all just come together. And it's an opportunity that you really had to grasp and grasp it. You did. So that's great. Um, now, let's fast forward a little bit more to when you started to uh, introduce Babyface Assassin, because that was actually um, a the, a recipe that you developed whilst working at Beer Ritz, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. I, where do I start with this beer? I, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's hugely important. Um for the business you know it's been a real real success story for us but you're absolutely right it it, it started out as a um a homebrew when i was living in leeds and working at the bottle shop at, at beer it's i i think by that point i think i'd been on been to the states for the first time and i'd come back from, from honeymoon mm. in the states and just absolutely been exposed to west coast ipas and you know just this incredible scene that's going on over there and um i've been trying to replicate brewing brewing something similar to what i tasted over there um and failed miserably to to produce something that was remotely drinkable i mean they were fermenting out okay but i just hadn't got the balance right between bitterness and aromatics and um, mm. around the time i citra wasn't available um really available in the uk at all by that point or at that point you couldn't get it as a home brewer oakum had just basically hoovered up the initial how many tons that had got delivered to the uk oakham pounced on that so there wasn't much available but uh i managed to get some via um the guys at summer wine brewery if you're familiar with them sadly no yeah. longer no mm. longer brewing mm. um they were very generous and and i managed to get my hands on 500 grams of, of citra via them uh, mm -hmm. and with the help of my manager at the time who had kind of introduced to home brewing as well and i just took the plunge with this i had this hop that i you know read all about and really just it was an exciting hop that that just everyone was talking about but no one could get their hands on so i just kind of thought normally in a 25 litre batch of homebrew for an ipa i might be using 100 grams across bit ring and, and aroma additions and i just decided to brew a, a 25 litre batch and chuck ev chuck every last gram of this 500 grams that i had into it um mm. all as late additions um i just was bored of brewing stuff that turned out to be really bitter and not very interesting you know aromatically so i was really fortunate i had an incredible like very very basic homebrew kit you know i didn't really have much regulation on temperature you know you can you can spend huge amounts of money on, on homebrew stuff and really kind of like be an amateur amateur brewer in that sense mine was amateur in the strictest sense you know a very very basic setup but i had a really good fermentation and it just yeah it just it was incredible um really mm. exciting beer and around the time i'd working in the beer shop i started to get to know to know um a few people locally there's like homebrew clubs and there was a couple of beer writers that kind of live locally 
and then I joined Twitter and was following Mark Dredges at his blog back in the day. And mm-hmm. yeah, just brewed this, bottled this beer. And I always, because I used to work in publishing and was no longer able to kind of do the desktop design stuff that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I didn't just, I didn't just call my beers IPA number two or ALL f- batch five or whatever. I always wanted to attach a name and therefore it gave me a good excuse to design a label. This beer was really, really drinkable for like a six point whatever percent IPA it was at the time. So the name Babyface Assassin just kind of fell in my head because it was not to be taken lightly is kind of how we I worded it on at the time. And, you know, mm. I'd sneak up on you if you're not careful because it was just stupidly drinkable for its ABV. Um, yeah. And then I kind of vaguely remember I, I, I sent Mark, Mark Dredge a bottle I managed to just sort of get in touch with him and I was just so pleased with this beer. I was like, you know, you're writing really good stuff. You're starting out on your journey. Mm-hmm. Do you want to try my beer? And he loved it and other people. It just sort of like developed a really low-key cult following. Um, yeah. I have seen your late hopping uh, technique called extreme late hopping. Yeah, I think Zach Avery called it that or someone... Indeed, he did. Yeah, yeah, uh, he, yeah. He he also said in his review um, of you you bottled uh, seventy um, bottles of of Babyface Assassin and sent them out. Obviously, including Zach, who I think was was he co owner at Beer Ritz. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, a manager. Yeah. He also said in that review, "It'll never be brewed commercially." Yes. Famous last words. But so let's talk, let's talk about the, the extreme late hopping technique because I'm interested in that. But I'm also interested in whether that was changed as such, you know, when you did start brewing it commercially at Roosters in order to make that statement untrue um, that Zach said it'll never be brewed commercially. Yeah. What Was there a tweak to how you did it in order to, to actually make it commercially viable? Yeah, exactly that. So the... The review that I, I know Zach um, refers to, actually. So about six months after I did the homebrew was kind of when the conversation started taking place around Roosters. I started working for Roosters about six months later. And during about a seven-month period of due diligence, we worked alongside Sean Franklin to get mm. under the skin of the business and, and just, you know, my brother kind of yeah worked really closely with him. He yeah. had a, a pilot kit there so you could brew we still have it at the brewery. It's like 60 litre kit. So I had a stab at brewing Babyface on 60 litre kit because he kind of just encouraged me to, do you want to have a go on this? So um, I was like, yeah, I'd like to see if, I could, if I've got it in me to do it, do it twice kind of thing. Um, mm. And that, that was the batch that we bottled, um, the 70 bottles that you, you mentioned and, and Zach reviewed. And we literally, we put it out as a Roosters labelled beer, even though it was a glorified homebrew again. Or still. Yeah. And we we gave it out to quite uh, to several people, and I think we ended up with some bottles on the on the sh- on the shelves at Beeritz. Was about as far as it went. Mm. Um, and Zach did that really really lovely review, but the, there was genuinely no intention to to do anything with it because it was not commercially viable. Like you say, it was take you know if you take a twenty five liter batch and turn try and turn it into a twenty five barrel batch, mm. those five hundred grams of hops. Yeah, <laughs> it's. it's you, it, I can't even do the maths to figure out. It, <laughs> it would not. It would not be commercially viable. Yeah. So, we did it on that small, that sixty litre kit, and then. But again, it just kind of, the likes of Zach's review and other people who got to taste it just really, really enjoyed it. So we started getting asked, "Oh, come on, you've really got to." People are like, "I want to try this beer. I want to try this beer." And I was very conscious that my brother had spent ten years 
learning how to brew commercially and, and become a really good commercial brewer, mm. I was not about to, my job within Roosters was never going to be the brewing side of it. Yeah. I wouldn't be needed for that because I was just a home brewer. So I was very kind of conscious and trying, wanted to be respectful for my brother that we weren't about to just take over Roosters and be like, right, here's my recipe. Um, yeah. Because he also had to, we took on what Sean had been doing because we loved his beers. So mm. I, I I was very happy to just say, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to brew uh, Babyface as a Roosters a commercial beer. And then maybe about 18 months later, we just got a little bit fed up of people continuing to ask. <laughs> I, I passed the recipe to my brother and I said, can this be done commercially? It needs some tweaks. Is there a way of, of, of making it happen? So the commercial version is is both mine and my brother's beer he, he yeah. turned it into something that could be done commercially and it's since gone on to be the beer we've won the most awards for in the decade mm-hmm. since the beer we've yeah. bought more of uh you know the biggest selling beer in cans that we do you know it's just it kind of has snowballed from there and it's it's something that we're, we're both equally very proud of because it, it, it it's a shared on a on the roosters side of things it's very much a shared project yeah. And it strikes me that obviously you have, you know, many beers from Sean Franklin's days that you're still brewing, but Babyface Assassin and Yankee are your two flagship beers kind of pretty much side by side. So, you know, two flagship beers, one from each era of Roosters. Was that intentional or just it did it just kind of happen that way? Yeah, not intentional at all. I mean, we took you know, Yankee was the flagship beer of the brewery when we took it over. We had, no, you know, we we wanted Yankee. We Yankee was always this, the spearhead brand for the brewery, and it was never mm. going to change. Yeah, Babyface came along and just, like I say, it was a bit of a. We were hesitant to sort of do anything with it because we couldn't really figure out how to make it work initially. And then when we did make it work, it just ran away. With, you know, ran away as a success. Um, mm. But it is exactly that, like you just, it's a good way of describing it. It's um, Yankee and Babyface, they do sit side by side as our two biggest selling beers. Um, you know, even in 2023, they both, Yankee's, you know, our lead cask brand, Babyface is our lead keg and can uh, brand. But they're both true to hit Rooster's history. They're both single hop, you know, Yankee's Cascade, Babyface is, is Citra. You know, they're mm. both, they're, if Babyface, Unwittingly, at the time I did it as a as a as a homebrew, was kind of done in the you know in the roosters' way, if you like, you know, low key malt and um, neutral yeast and all that kind of thing. It's not it's not the you know it's now roosters yeast. I can't remember what yeast I used when I when I first brewed it. Um, mm. But yeah, so it's 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 something that wasn't designed, but definitely kind of exists as 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 the way it does. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So. Uh... Before we move on, I'm going to go on to the second beer, which is the 30th anniversary IPA. And I love that you've got the um, the two. Again, we're talking about the flagship beers there and the, you know, one from each era. You've also got the two eras brandings on this as well. You've obviously got the, the current Roosters branding front and center, um, but the old illustration on there, too. So let's just crack this one open and yeah. give this a go. So tell us about this beer. So obviously it's brewed to celebrate the anniversary. I'm responsible for the design. The the actual design of the beer is is um, our production manager, uh, a chap called Stuart, 
who's been with us for 10 years this he was handed this as as a project for for the start of the year we you know we want to release a, a beer that celebrates roosters it has to be hoppy because that's what the the you know it's the where the where it all started was Sean Franklin is kind of intrigue in terms of hops um so let's yeah. make a, a a modern IPA you know it's not modern in the sense that it's this softer new world you know it's it's very much kind of like a nod to a, a good strong kind of American style IPA um but I just yeah go away and, and sit, have have some fun with it so looking at the can he has gone with Citra Comet Mosaic and Nelson Sovan so he's really kind of raided our hop store for yeah, <laughs> some, for some absolute doozies in terms of you know, there's no holding back in terms of, in terms of sort of picking some of the big guns, and yeah, I mean this was this was canned about three weeks ago, launched launched about three weeks ago, and and mm. so far has gone incredibly well. Um, we it's can and keg only. Um, I think we sold all the kegs so far uh, already, I should say, and then there's there's a little bit of can, uh, some of the cans left via our our web shop and independence really. Mm. Where this one's designed to go at launch. Um, and in, yeah, my, my, like I say, my, my input. I'm just holding, look, looking at the can as you say. I mean, the, the the cartoon rooster that you talked about that is a is a new version of the the initial branding that Sean did 30 years ago, which I always really liked. But he told mm. me they they only did about four beers that include that had this hand drawn kind of almost. I think it was even hand painted that they then scanned and used as pumpkins back in the day. All right, um, yeah. and they it just became far too expensive for them to commission this artist to do every single time they had a, a new beer. So it, it, it existed and, and it's quite striking, but fell by the wayside fairly quickly, I think, because it just, it wasn't again commercially viable to, to do as a punk clip. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've always really liked it. So I, um, I got someone to, to sort of reimagine it, recreate it um, as, as a sort of 21st century version that we've started to just drop in every now and then it's, it's not taking over the, the sort of more recognized branding but it's it's a nice yeah. to the past that you picked up on you know yeah no it's it's a very nice as you say yeah because it is a, a a beer to celebrate all 30 years so nice to have a little retro nod even if it's as you say reimagined it's it's still the very much similar imagery so um it's nice to have that on yeah. on the can we've always um like i say well you touched on it a little while ago you know we've respected roosters way before we ever knew we were going to be involved with it so we, when we took it on we our first thought was you know we can't mess this up this is this is a really important brewery and we've got to make sure that we we do it justice so we we spent a little time just sort of making sure nothing changed you didn't make any real wholesale changes for the first year or so um, mm. but i remember being asked i was working in a different pub in between beer and 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 starting at Roosters, and a guy, I didn't know him that well, it was really weird, but it, when the news broke that Roosters was being bought or sold and then being bought by, by our family, someone came and asked me, they said, oh, are you going to change the name? And I was like, hmm. why would why would we do that? It's, exactly, it's Roosters. yes. What, what are you expecting? It, it's going to be like the Fozard Brewing Company or something. It's just like, it was <laughs> every, everything Everything that we've, you know, we've, we've tried to do with the business has been, very much acknowledging the important role that Sean yeah. played. And then as, you know, we've had the business for 11 and a bit years now, I feel in the last five, maybe three or four years, because we've moved premises from what we, mm. the site that we inherited, we've grown the business. We've moved away from being cask only into mm -hmm. being one of the first breweries to introduce canning in the UK. Um, you know, we've made certain steps where it definitely just does actually feel like we have 
a story to tell as well now you know the the, the breweries evolved in the decades since but i think yeah i think for the first five years of our ownership we were we didn't really talk about ourselves much or we were very very shining that you know we have to tell the story of sean because he's quite a shy guy he didn't do that a lot himself so mm. and it's nice that you're carrying on the torch as you know as you say 11 and a bit years ago you took over that you know carrying the the, the torch for for roosters and you know it's it's become more and more your brewery over those years because let's face it in uh, you know i'm going to say about six years as if it's nothing i know six years a lot can happen in six years but in about six years or so time you're going to have had it for the same amount of time that uh that, that sean did and so it's 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 coming more and more well i mean obviously as soon as you bought it it was your brewery but you know i guess it's going to be more about what your family have done um more than perhaps the origins you know as you said you don't want to forget sean's involvement and what sean has done because as we were saying before we started recording you know in the uk sean is very much uh, a pioneer about that so you know he should never be forgotten what he's done but of course you know you guys own it now so it's only right that it should be it should all be about you guys thanks i think i think we we're starting to to learn that or starting to understand that or starting to be feel comfortable with that is probably the best way of putting it yeah i don't i don't think we'll ever not want to share the story of of the origins you know as long as yankees out there mm. there's the story to tell that's sean's beer it's you know it's it's still brewed to the same recipe uh, we do get people occasionally going oh it doesn't taste the same it's like well yeah it doesn't taste the same because 30 years is a long time and people yeah you know everything changes in terms of your perceptions of labor and then equally 30 years ago there wasn't west coast ipas so you know mm. that's like a big change in terms of what your perception of, of certain things might taste like or or and that's along those side of things but yeah I, you know I, like i say I, th- I think we're we're definitely feeling more comfortable the move to the the move to the site that we're on well say we're on now yeah, I don't ever want to leave that site. I don't want to have to go through that process again. So, <laughs> when I say we're on now. The site that we we call home will remain on. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, I, yeah, that was that was a real kind of shift. It, for me, I I feel it. I you know I I've spoken to my brother about it a little bit. Like I I just get a kick out of walking into that building now. It's it's a much. I don't know how to really kind of describe it, but I just I just feel a much more heightened sense of ownership that is ours that is our of our making um mm. we've managed to you know we doubled the size of the business in the first five years that we took over it like i say we introduced canning we introduced kegging we 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 evolved the business so we should feel very very proud of what we've achieved and you know and celebrating 30 years is is obviously something that's not many modern breweries can can do um, no indeed kind of, we're trying to be um strike a balance between it's great saying hey check us out with the brewery's 30 years old and look at look at look at how it look at the important things this brewery has achieved in those 30 years but you've got to balance that out with the opposite of not looking like hey cool kids we're we're <laughs> one of you you know we've been here 30 years. you know there's there's so much has happened in the last five or ten years where there's newer breweries who you know arguably are probably more hype and more exciting than we are i don't you know, I think we, I think our products stand up against any of theirs, um, but we're mm. more of a different. You know, we we've we are tied to the past in that way that they they aren't, and it's 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 something yeah. that I think should be celebrated. But it is quite a different, uh, difficult 
balance to strike because you want to tell people you're 30 years old, but you mm. also want to want to make sure that you're, you're still in, relevant in those conversations. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. But I mean, as you say, moving to where you've moved is uh, is a big help for that. So the move was to Hornbeam Park in Harrogate, but close to Hornbeam Park train station, uh, rather than the, the one in the centre of town. And because, of course, you know, we were talking that that's a move that you've got, you've taken from Knaresborough to Harrogate. But as you mentioned, when you when you when we started talking about the history, Roosters actually started off in Harrogate. So it was nice to sort of come back home. So that was 2019. And as you say, it's something that you don't wish to do again. It was a big project then. Yeah. And I have to say, in some ways, I think of the three of us, me, my brother, and my dad, I, I got off lightly. Okay. I so the old site we we massively outgrown that old site. Like I said, we doubled the size of the business in those first five years. So the office, the sales office, was a porter cabin in the in the car park, and even that porter cabin felt space age to to where the office used to be in the brewery beforehand. It was a very ramshackle building, to be perfectly frank about it. But what happened when we when we took on the move is I, I kind of I'm going to take credit for for finding the site that we now are on it was i was very it became very obvious to me very you know harrogate's not built on industry it's not known for you know like south leeds is whatever warehouse space and you know mm. it's you, you've got to be lucky to find a building that can house a brewery really in harrogate and there was only really one one location so it's not it's not like i found this mythical kind of thing it was fairly obvious that was the place <laughs> we needed to be but yeah there weren't any empty buildings there there was a hole in the ground where our now landlord was looking to build some new new premises so we approached him and sort of said well what what are they what are you doing with them and what they were was far too expensive for us so we kind of said thanks for getting back to us we're not really interested or we can't they're too big too expensive mm. but he kept our details and then eventually a business around the corner activated their break clause because they outgrew the site um so he rang us up and said do you want to come and have a look at this and yeah, as soon as we saw it, it was just knew, just knew it was perfect. My dad definitely felt it was too big for us. I I was very minded, you know, from a lot of my trips to the states. Understood the taproom culture, um, certainly mm. a lot, lot more than my dad. You know, he's very experienced in running pubs, but there's a difference. Yeah. And and I just said, look, when we move, we really need a taproom. You know, it's it's something that we never could have achieved on the old site. And I, and a taproom for me would have been a corner of the brewery where we set up a bar and move the malt pallets and put some chairs up on a Friday and just have an opportunity to have a beer ourselves. Yeah. And also hopefully get some customers in to sort of get their feedback. And But also it's, it, it's great having your own outlet as well, not having to sell a cask or a keg to a, to a pub that are then going to sell it on. It's great to have that middleman. You know, not that, not that you want to cut out middlemen. You know, the, the pubs are very important to your business, of course, but it's nice to have a direct route. Yeah, it's, it's that it's that instant feedback we get over the bar. Now, one of the beauties of the Hornbeam Park is the nearest pub is is on foot is a two-mile walk. <laughs> and these are these are pubs, but these are pubs that we supplied for, for, for years. And mm. Roosters is applied for longer than we've been there. So we, we really didn't want to open a tap room and then, you know, put people's um, noses out of joint and be like, we're going to yeah. steal your customers. We were very confident that we're tucked away on the bottom of a business park. Mm. That thankfully benefits from a train station being five minutes to walk away. But we are not direct competition for anybody that we were 
relying on and had, mm. and had supported us over those years. Yeah. And like I say, my, my, my thing was before we found the actual building was uh, we need a tap room. It makes sense. You know, if, if it's, if it's just, even if it's, we can fit 20 people in and we just have an opportunity to kind of experience having a tap room in some form, mm. we'd be very gr- happy to have that. The building that we have gave us something way beyond that. The, the the layout of it was obvious. Well, if we need to put a partition wall here to separate what is sits underneath, underneath a mezzanine compared to the rest of the the however high the the rest of the brewery is, you know, it was just an obvious that that bit under that mezzanine is no use yeah. us in terms of other than being storage. So let's turn it into a tap room, mm. and it's a tap room that can seat 160 people with a beer garden that can seat 120 people, and then we have wow. a private but we. The, the bit on the the top level of the mezzanine we earmarked for it's it's semi storage we earmarked it for barrel aging which is slowly becoming barrel aging it's not a massive part of what we do but it's something we mm. constantly try and find time to develop but then the other half of it is a private event bar it's got it had it there was a, a staircase already in there and so it's like I was just walking around there I was like well this could be you know mm. I've I've got I've spoken to enough people who have tap rooms and the one thing that they r- wish they had was the ability to have a private bar because they the successful tap rooms you get people asking i want to from a party here yeah can't yeah because you want it on a friday or saturday which is when i'm hoping to make some money and <laughs> i would have to close the entire place well we actually have the benefit we we that can hold 140 people um oh wow so, so nice size from yeah would have been content with kicking some mop pallets out of the way and putting a few tables <laughs> it. and i went in i met a friend there two weeks ago on a saturday six o'clock on a saturday we couldn't get a seat. Wow. It's, it's mm. really, really just been a huge success. So come back to your initial sort of question on the on the move. Like I was fortunate enough that my only focus really was the tap room. That was my I was the one of the out of the three of us, I was the one who had the most, you know, clear idea of what it should be and how it would work. Um because I'm lucky enough to have been to the States off, you know, either on holiday or with work mm. and soak up those kind of those, you know, venues at various places other than the tap room i stayed on the old site i ran the brewery we you know we kept on we we were in production on both sites for a time but i stayed down there and just oversaw making sure that we were delivering what we needed to deliver and then my brother and my dad kind of oversaw a lot of the brewery side of things so mm. that, that like i say i'm grateful I, I as much as i say i don't ever want to do it again yeah they feel uh, yeah, even yeah. stronger about that I, i'm sure <laughs> so Okay, so your baby, obviously the tap room. Let's uh, go into a little more detail on that. You mentioned the capacity, you know, quite a lot of uh, people you can get in there on a busy night. There's 16 draft lines, uh, eight cask and eight keg. Yes. And um, obviously I'm sure that, uh, that that is mostly populated by the by the core beers that, uh, that, that you produce. Yeah, we have three of the cask lines are dedicated to core, as in they don't, they're always, you can always find Yankee on cask. Mm-hmm. You can always find Babyface Assassin on cask, and mm-hmm. you can always find Capability Brown, which is our best bitter on cask. So I mentioned Yankee and Babyface had to be there. Mm. I mentioned there's other beers on the keg side as well, where we just knew people were going to walk in and want a best bitter. We didn't have a best bitter in our range, so we developed one mm. purely for the tap room, and it's now part of our core range and, and does really well in its own right. And then on the keg side, Pilsner that we talked about is ever-present. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we have a, a nitro porter called London Thunder, which mm-hmm. serves as our, someone comes in and asks for a Guinness, 
we haven't got a Guinness, but we've got the we've got this instead. So yeah, those five. I mean, London Thunder does dip out if we have a different dark beer on keg occasionally. Our manager will will two dark beers side by side on the keg lines. We learn they compete with each other too much. Mm. Um, but more often than not, London Thunder's there as the fifth like, mainstay beer on the bar. The other eleven lines um, rotate through other beers in the core range and the limited release stuff as well. Excellent. Okay. And of course, you've got uh, street food kitchen. Yeah. So the, the the kitchen went in about three months after we opened the tap room. We again, we knew we needed food. We're tucked away on this business park. We we needed a good excuse for people to come and stay. But we were struggling to figure out the the beer garden itself isn't very accessible for people who might rock up with a trailer or like a pizza oven or whatever it is, you know, traditional street food stuff you um, find on the back of an old Defender or whatever it might be. Yeah. Because um, the chillers are in the way. So we it was really difficult to do anything in the beer garden. And equally, if you've got a trailer tucked in the back of the beer garden in the middle of winter and it's horrible weather, good luck persuading anyone to go out there and <laughs> order and wait around for it. Yeah. So then the other option was, well, we got the front of the building where the entrance to the tap room is, which was, again, when we looked at the building, it was a purpose already pre-existing separate entrance to the to the building. But it, it goes directly onto what is, it's a private road, but it's still a busy road. You know, it's a, it's a road that services a car park elsewhere. And it's just, you can't expect people to go and stand after a few beers or during having a few beers and go and stand and queue to order beer, uh, food. So it took us a little while to, to figure out where, but we've ended up installing, you know, a fully functioning kitchen in its own right, which was, yeah, just perfect. It's it's just proven mm. to be the absolute kind of cherry on the cake in terms of how the tap room operates. So we do, we're open six days a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we have a different trader rotate in every week. We've probably got a core of about 12 different traders that we're, they like us, we like them, they do really good food, so we rotate mm. them as best as possible and then tuesday wednesday thursday the other days were open um there's a local mexican bar slash street food um company who kind of has mid midweek residency they've had that for about nine months now um they and they mm. they yeah it works for them it works for us they do incredible food the, the street food side of it is def- was has definitely helped um yeah we do Tuesday nights, uh, we've got a guy who approached us locally pre-pandemic. Uh, can I come and run a, run a quiz for you? Yeah, great idea. We, we'd love to have a quiz down here. He's averaging 80 or 90 people on a Tuesday night to come and do our tap room quiz. Really? Um, wow. That's amazing. 20 quid prize. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like there's, there's it's just people, you know, he's, he's very good at it. And the Christmas quiz uh, we had 170 people come to the Christmas quiz. Again, 20 quid on offer. We've struck up a real kind of the, the core. When, when, with the train station being where it is and where, you know, when we move there, my, my immediate assumption was Harrogate is sandwiched on a branch line in between Leeds and York. So mm. Great. We're, we're going to benefit from some really good beer tourism and that's what will that's make the tap room tick over. Like, so pleasantly wrong. We we get we do get that beer tourism, but you can't survive on it. Um, yeah, yeah. We've other businesses on the business park users, you know, post work beers. We bet we you know where they go to for that. And then we've actually there's way more residential on the other side of the train track is far more accessible than I actually realised at the time. So we we mm. I was having a chat with a guy at the bar um, this evening before I came over, 
yeah, I mean, he must be in there four days a week, you know, see you tomorrow on his way out sort of thing, you know, and mm. really, really benefiting from, from that local support has just been incredible. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, so aside, so obviously from the wonderful beer and tasty food, you also do a lot of events there. I see that you've had comedy, bingo, and even podcast recordings. So yeah, there, there are other podcasts out there. It's shocking to hear, I know. But um, yeah, you've had the uh, comedian, yeah, <laughs> you've had the comedians doing, uh, comedians playing fantasy football league. Is that one you've had recording there? Yeah, so um, that's hosted by John Richardson and Matt Ford, who mm. I assume, I hope most listeners certainly recognise um, John's name. You know, he's a, just Cats Does Countdown or whatever it's called on. Yeah, AR10 Cats Does Countdown. Yeah, yeah. On Channel 4 and Matt's does Absolute Radio and spitting image and is mm. a very very good comedian in his own right yeah we, we host a monthly comedy night at the tap room which the guy who curates that is someone that when i used to live in leeds in the mid in the noughties he was a act on the local scene that i saw support a friend's band one time he's just really good and then he popped up again about 15 years later well a year ago which was 15 years later I follow him on Twitter and he was looking to get a comedy gig off the ground. He, he does some in Leeds and he was asking if there's anywhere local that had a venue. So I was like, yeah, come and check us out. So we've done that and that's 140 seats, sells out every time. We've had Maisie Adam headlined the December show. Um, mm. We've just had a guy called Josh Pugh, who hopefully a lot of people will, if they have not already heard of him, are going to hear of him. He's incredible. He did January. Um, but also in December, we, did, we had John and Matt come and record their podcast. I've been a huge fan of John Richardson's, when I used to work at the Student Union, I used to work comedy, I used to run a comedy night at the Student Union. And one night, this guy came after work and did a 10 minute set as he was starting out doing comedy. And that was John Richardson. Okay. And I just never, I, I don't know John, you know, we're not friends in that sense, but I just remember he was just, he was just incredible. Um, and then I got the opportunity to, to go backstage and have a chat with him at a gig uh, last year and managed to persuade him and his producer that they should come and record their podcast in the tap room. So Excellent. Put, yeah. yeah, managed to pull off um, having John Richardson and Matt Ford come and do their podcast there, which was really cool. You know, really yeah. nice people, but a very unique thing for a brewery to be doing, I think. No, absolutely. No, it sounds uh, it sounds like it's really good. You've got an event coming up as well later this year, which obviously is very much tied in with the 30th anniversary and that's suds with buds beer festival on saturday 1st of july yes so another thing that we've been wanting to do for an awfully long time um since moving to the site is we've we've been fortunate enough that we've been invited to different invitational beer festivals by um by other breweries and they've just always been such such a laugh um you know on name check magic rock back in the day Thornbridge for Peekender, Hawkshead back in the day with with their festivals. It just we always kind of it's such a nice industry to work in, and you just go and mm. have a laugh and get put your beers in front of people. So we've been wanting to kind of repay the favour and do our own for a while. And the 30th anniversary has kind of jolted us into action to to make it happen. So tickets go on sale via our website on March first, so a couple of weeks at the time of recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, we have currently got the aim is that we're going to have 24 breweries different breweries pouring their beers so the brewers are going to come and pour their beers it's a six hour session it's it's a one session only thing a lot of these other things might be two sessions or yeah for example is a long weekend we don't have it's all based at the 
brewery. So it's going to cover the brewery, the yard, the tap room, and the beer garden. We're going to have some really good street food there in addition to what's in the kitchen. And then we're also going to have some live music because we're all big fans of, you know, going to gigs as well. So mm. we're kind of tying the three in. We are going to start announcing the breweries on Monday, the 20th of February. But okay. I don't know well, that... what order we're announcing them in. So I oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, by, by the time the podcast goes out, then there will have been a couple of... Uh announcements but we'll, yeah. just, we'll leave it there and we'll just we'll just say for people to check out your socials because that all the announcements will be there yeah um we've got some of the best so the name suds with buds is the idea is like i say it's friends we've made along the way that we what we love their beer we love hanging out with them so we want them to come pour their beer and then hopefully we'll hang out and have a few beers afterwards as well so we've got some breweries coming over from california colorado uh washington state i think is one couple in Europe and then we've got like some of the best breweries in the UK basically so um, mm. really really good really really strong mix of breweries really really excited to kind of it's again might have used this already as a as a saying but it's a, it's an itch that we've been wanting to scratch for a long time yeah okay so the uh, festival's on Saturday 1st of July and as you said their tickets go on sale on the 1st of March Excellent. So don't forget to get your tickets and check out the socials to find out who is going to be there. Um, yes. Let's get on to the 30th anniversary collaboration project, because I'm I'm guessing, actually, that there might be some kind of tie in there. If <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm not going to say any names because well, that might give things away. So I'll leave you to say as much yeah. as you feel you want to. You've got You've read very well between the lines. That's all I can say. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, let's let's talk because, of course, as part of the 30th anniversary, you are going to collaborate with a lot of great breweries. Let's talk about the ones you can talk about. Who are you bring a beer with? So we have got nine collaborations lined up for this year. And I'll very, mm. very, I know I waffle a lot, so I'll try and be very brief. <laughs> nine is a very weird number to have for the year. For the 25th anniversary five years ago, we had an even weirder number, which was 17 different collaborations. <laughs> that came about on the basis that we drew up a list of 18 breweries that we asked, would you like to get involved? On the assumption that one in every three might say, thanks, but no thanks. Mm. And we ended up where one said, thanks, but no thanks. And 17 said, yes. And it was... <laughs> quite a ridiculous thing to try and shoehorn into a 12-month period so yeah we've purposefully as a team kind of agreed that we were going to do somewhere between six and ten mm. this year and we as it's happened we've, we've landed on nine um, okay all right well that's a good number yeah so i mean they're all they're not the way it's going to work is they're not going to be um, spread out across the year evenly in that sense because six of them are coming from the states Mm. Um, so we're very much happy for them to dictate when they want to come and do that and if i lived in california i probably wouldn't choose to come to england in february so you know like no yeah fair fair point fair point yeah we, we imagine most of them are gonna, are gonna kind of um try and jump on the summer and, and come over for yeah that. um well i mean if they're so, coming if if they're coming over for the first of uh, july beer festival that would that would be good timing some of them may be coming over for that as well. so um if you if you look at our socials or we put out a, an anniversary magazine as well um which talks about the, the collaborations i mean I, i'm happy to talk about the, the brews we're collaborating with what i can't do is some of them are still tbc in terms of the festival some of them are nailed on so i'm not gonna I, yeah you know, I, we're brewing with 
similar to the festival, we we approach people that we've just struck up really fond relationships with over the last decade or so, and yeah. just want to hang out with them and brew beers. So absolutely, should, I mean, should we concentrate maybe on the couple the couple of UK breweries? Andy Parker was a guest uh, a couple of episodes ago, and he did mention that he was down to to brew a collab with you. What he told us, and, and I've got to say, I'm a massive fan of uh, of Elusive, a massive, massive fan of Oregon Trail. Andy pitched his collab with you guys as Oregon Trail meets Babyface Assassin. Now, I mean... That that's really that's that's a beer to that's a beer to behold, surely. So t- tell us about that. I'm I'm going to crack into the cold IPA, whilst you do that, and we will talk about cold IPAs. But uh, I need a beer while while I hear you talk about yeah. this this collab. That's really funny. Andy's Andy's a great guy. I saw him at Peak Ender last year, which is when we approached him to mm. do the collab with us. And me and my brother have been fans of his for a long time, and, and wanted to you know he's a really nice guy as much as a really good brewer. So we wanted we wanted to make it happen. And the anniversary kind of felt like the right way of going about it. Why is it really funny is the last email I sent, or one of the last emails I sent before we jumped on this was uh, to Andy, because I just finished working on the artwork for the can label for the beer this afternoon. Ooh. So I sent I sent it over to Andy for approval because I need to go to print with it tomorrow. Yeah. And yeah, I was going to say, oh, I could, I could offer you an exclusive because he's coming to brew with us a week today. So it would be the day after this is, this podcast is released is when Andy's um, Andy's coming to brew. Mm. Um, and I was gonna. I was thinking, oh, should I be coy about it, or should I let stuff what it is? But it sounds like Andy's already done that. So that's like, oh, yes, weeks ago. He's... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's a hundred percent. There was only, there was only one, one way we were going to do it. Again, like so, we, Oregon Trails are really, really good beer. It's, you know, it's a solid beer. It's a really good example of the style. And, and yeah, we've talked about Babyface. It's it's our flagship IPA. So um, mm. it just seemed like a no brainer. Let's let's do a hybrid. So my brother and Andy, I haven't seen the recipe. I decided what it was going to be called and, and did the artwork today but um it's a complete hybrid of you know a 50 50 approach of, of what he does with oregon trail and what we do with babyface assassin wow excellent are you able to tell us the name or is that is well, that a secret well. he's, he's, he's talking about <laughs> um, it's going to be called assassin's trail assassin's trail excellent excellent yeah and I when can it's going to be so obviously, as you say, that's being brewed um, tomorrow for people that are listening to the podcast on the day of release. When's it going to be available to, for people to get their hands on? So we haven't set a release date. If I had the calendar in front of me for when it will get packaged, roughly speaking, I would say back end of March is probably the safest bet. I mean, when we when we okay. brew a beer, because it's going to go and be available in cask, keg and can. Mm. So very roughly speaking, when we brew a beer that ends up being packaged in can and keg from brew day to packaging day is roughly three weeks i think this is going to have a little bit longer in tank time so it might be four calendar weeks between brew day and release okay so it's so late late march yeah i think we'd aim for late late march get it out there before easter especially and then so the idea is andy's going to take some down that he'll distribute around his area mm. um We'll look after the north, and then hopefully some of the wholesalers we work with elsewhere in the country will take some as well. So I literally just been finishing finishing the artwork today. I'm really excited about it. It's um, excellent. Wow! It's the, it's the first it's the first collaboration of the of the project. Yeah, we have the other UK brewery that you you mentioned um, is St Mars of the Desert in Sheffield. Mm-hmm. I love them as well. They they do some great stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive fans of them. I mean, my brother's my brother's really. So when he left Aleside Brewery, his eventual replacement was. Dan, who is one half of, yeah, um, 
Same so, so, mm. so my brother and Dan have kind of been friends for at least 10 years, if not 15 years, maybe 12 years, I'm not sure. Um, but we've collaborated with them once before when they were brewing under the Pretty Things name um, back when they mm. were in the States. Mm. Um, so we, we did a beer with them, a Cascone beer, shortly after their first, second ever collaboration, I think. Um, so yeah, we've been huge fans of what they do. Lovely people. And my brother's currently working up an idea with them uh not sure legit cannot say what it's going to be i, I think because i don't know not like i'm being um mm. secretive about it i don't yeah. know exactly what how it's going to land as a, as, a, as a style when it's going to become available what the package types are anything like that it's, it's currently being worked up and then the remaining seven um collaborations are very much in, in the same sort of stage we're having conversations with mm. well in fact the remaining seven are all breweries that aren't in the uk so they're, they're going to be it's like herding cats yeah I, I get yeah a little harder but I'm, I'm glad to hear because one of the questions i was going to ask was are they all in-person collabs uh, i know obviously that as, as we were saying that you've got some that are based quite a long way away so it's nice to hear that the that the idea is that they're all going to be in person there is one that is not going to be in person okay um, for the very good reason that they are going to be at with Woods. So they asked, could we do it as a virtual collab because they then want to come and pour it in person. And they okay. understandably they... cannot justify making that yeah. trip in the space of a month. Yeah, or staying for the whole month. <laughs> I, I, gen- I would love them to stay. He's, uh, <laughs> one of my best friends in the industry. So I'm, I, I've taken the week off after, uh, the week off after Suds with Buds um, purely to try and coax mm. them to stay in the country for a week so we could excellent yeah show show them the uh, the sites of Yorkshire yes absolutely excellent excellent okay fantastic well we look forward to finding out more information about all of that as you said it's all going to be revealed on your socials uh, as and when you can so that's great so yeah. I have poured while we were talking there this must be the place which is uh, your cold IPA. And I really want to talk about this yes. because in terms of beer styles, I think cold IPAs are very much in vogue at the moment, very on trend. And there are a lot of people that I talk to, even people that are very much in the beer industry, they know a lot about beer, and they're still confused about cold IPAs. You know, is is it a lager? Is it an IPA? Is it just IPL repackaged? So what's your take on cold IPAs? My take is, firstly, if someone is rebadging an IPL, they are not brewing a cold IPA. They, they, <laughs> a world of difference in terms of. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I think no, absolutely, you're quite right. I think that's what a lot of people think because they're thinking, okay, well, it's a lagery IP, uh, lagery IPA, and of course IPL, yeah, Indian Pale Lager. So I think that's what people latch on to. Yeah, I think uh, the best way I can describe it. I mean, I, I. We we first brewed this beer last summer, and we brewed it blind. We had never tasted one, but we we had we we actually had on our 2022 release calendar. We we kind of map out our release our limited release beers for the year, mm. and we were going to do an IPL. And about a month or so before the cold IPA stuff started to kind of filter through, and I read up on it, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds so much better." <laughs> um, so I kind of sent my brother some information and said, look, I hope you haven't got too far with the recipe development idea for the IPL that we've we've said we'll brew. Can we do it as a cold IPA instead? Mm. And he was like, yeah, great. Leave it with me. 
I then went on holiday when this was brewed for the first time to the States and drank uh, two cold IPAs while I was over there, the first two that I'd ever tried, mm. by two very reputable brewers, and they were incredible. They were everything that I'd read about this this style of beer. So it's I would describe this being much crisper, much sort of more refreshingly satisfying than an IPL, which I can say this now, a year ago, not having tried a cold IPA, not really knowing we were going to brew one, I was looking forward to us brewing an IPL. The IPLs that I tasted before, I would describe now tasting what a cold IPA should be, I would describe an IPL as being a much kind of flabbier version of the beer. It's mm. it's a more confused kind of hybrid, whereas a, a cold IPA is very much stripping back each of the individual qualities of the style and then re-bringing them together in a way that they just complement each other in a much more satisfying way. So they're much mm -hmm. crisper. Okay, yeah. Um, it's, it's a much crisper, refreshing experience. The hops actually have a better opportunity to kind of shine through because it's being set against a, a lighter malt body than mm. an IPL traditionally would have been. And you're using a, we use a Kolsch yeast for ours. So you're, you're using a, a, a yeast that really leaves a nice, crisp kind of clean finish behind yeah um so yeah i went i but i was very pleased that my brother was open to the idea like i say i went on holiday i tried um i'm a massive odell fanboy can't do can't do an interview without <laughs> out how much i love odell um, yeah so they had they had um in their tap room in denver they had um when i was there they had a a cold ipa as a limited release beer just perfect and then uh, Bale Breaker in, in Washington State, I went to their tap room and they had one on that was equally just flawlessly brewed, really, really good example of style. And while I was on that holiday, my brother brewed ours. And I came back and, and tried it when it was packaged and it was everything I'd enjoyed from those two quality brewers over there. And we've just, yeah, he just nailed it. It's so, I, you know, Matt Curtis, beer writer Matt Curtis is a, is a real advocate for this style and 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 yeah. long may it be championed because I just think it's I'm I, I love it I, I'm so excited by it I'm, I'm a deep, good traditional lagers really float my boat but I'm a, I'm a hophead you know IPA is my go-to so mm. to to get both of them in a in a in a style like this is just is fantastic and this beer you're drinking this fresh this is only two weeks I think maybe three weeks since we canned it um, oh nice we. Mm won a tender for System Belaga in Sweden. Um, the, the state monopoly that mm. controls supply of off-trade beers in, in, or alcohol in Sweden. We submitted this to one of their tenders and, and it won. So we've just shipped maybe 70,000 cans, I think, to Sweden. Oh, um, wow. Excellent. What you're, drink, what you're drinking is we had we had a couple, maybe half a pallet, I think, um, that we we packaged that we've, we've kind of got available in the UK at the moment as well. But I just, I, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, so excited about it i haven't tried i think i've tried one other uk one um late last summer i haven't seen it emerge as a, as a real kind of stamp. Mm. no exactly i mean i think there have been a few a siren uh do one um i recently only about maybe four or five weeks ago had one brewed by numbers produced one that i had in their tap room in vermonty uh which was excellent really really nice i think this is absolutely spot on as you were saying, that kind of hybrid of the lager and, and an IPA. In fact, you've even got on the can like a little pills with a handshake emoji. Pills, a handshake IPA. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you picked up on that. So, you know, it, it is very much, yeah, pills meets IPA. 
and it's absolutely hitting the spot. You, you, you know, you're quite right. The Pilsner is, was was gorgeous, but that was that was very much a Pilsner beer. This is this is that kind of mix between the two. I mean, yeah. In fact, you could even say that this is kind of halfway between the two beers I've already had tonight: the Pilsner and the 30th mm. Anniversary IPA. Yeah, I think, uh, so, I think that's a really good call. <laughs> It's a, it's a nice way to sort of sort of to round all, all three of them off. So yeah, um, congratulations on that cold IPA. Very very nice, and it's great that it is very much an on-trend style. And I will talk a lot to a lot of people about what they reckon the next big thing in beer is going to be. And a lot of people keep talking about lager because, of course, it's not a new thing. But in craft beer circles, a lot of people do look down on lager because. I guess they're sort of thinking more of the kind of macro stuff, but there are some amazing lagers being produced by craft breweries these days. I think people that are maybe more of the kind of real ale drinkers, more maybe camera members, I'm not putting camera members down at all, but maybe people that perhaps, you know, have their, their minds blocked against lager really need to start looking at, um, at the lagers that are being produced by independent breweries alone, to be honest. I agree. I think there's there's some really, really good examples out there. I think Thornbridge, have, they spring to mind immediately with Lucas. Yeah. Um, you know, mm. they, they just um, have, have really developed a truly authentic, you know, good European German style lager there. Anecdotally, I can think back to when I was working in a pub and I used my go to was Yeva. Yeva pills in the bottle just excites me every time I used to open that and the smell of that beer, just absolutely incredible. And you know, I have a really close friend of mine who, at the time, he was cask. It's cask only, and I, I refused to entertain. And he, he walked in. We were meeting for a drink one day, and I got there before him and had a bottle of Yeva on the go. And he walked in. He was like, Christ, man, what are you doing? I was like, shut <laughs> up and try this. Like, and he, he drinks more of it now than I do. You know, he like, <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, but it, it's tricky on a, on a craft beer level. I mean, we've brewed, we do Pilsner that we talked about. We have brewed one authentic lager in the history of Roosters, and we did it during lockdown. Mm. because all of a sudden we had empty tanks looking for you know crying out for beer to go in them so we so we brewed an authentic we did a, a, a american pre-prohibition lager um, okay i am inspired by the u.s in the same way that sean franklin was in that sense but um mm. we did we did a, a pre-pro a we, we sat in tank for you know traditionally tradition did it traditionally over six weeks and halted fermentation or halted conditioning at the point where we were happy with it and the transformation it went over in those six weeks was just incredible and it was one of the i'd love for us to find time to do that sort of thing again you've you've got to tie up tank space so much to do that yeah um, but the other thing that which you know which is a difficult thing to do and, and another thing that i'd say craft brewers are kind of competing with is we are really blessed if you ignore the macro stuff that a lot of maybe newcomers to craft beer are probably drifting away from and therefore automatically might sort of have decided to frown upon when you get past the sort of really macro lager stuff we are blessed to have some of the czech and german pilsners we you can find in decent bars on you know mm. on keg regularly felton springs to mind you know like as a craft brewer a small small brewer you are competing with that being on your doorstep as well so it's yeah. it's it's a thing that i think a lot of breweries would really really love the opportunity to kind of develop and do more of but you are you're fighting you know you're you want to do it properly and traditionally so you're having to tie up tank space which then makes it more difficult to do or more expensive to brew and you are just competing with bigger breweries 
mm. and then you're competing with a really, really solid, you know, Stiegel coming in from Austria, another incredibly solid beer that is fresh on our doorstep because because mm. um, you know it's it's not a million miles away that it's brewed. Yeah. So maybe that's where cold IPA kind of like allows smaller beers yeah. to kind of flex flex a bit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, I think it's going to be um, a big style. I think it's going to be, um, if if anything, you know, I hate I hate using these words, but you know, the next big thing. But honestly, I do think I, that I really the, the, the one, yeah, I agree. I, I think the ones that I've tasted so far have been amazing. You know, it's allow especially when the summer comes around as well, when you really need those really really thirst quenching, quaffable beers, but have that kind of hoppy certainly having that hybrid between the two styles uh, works for me right okay brilliant well i do a thing on the podcast where i ask the guest to pose a question for the next guest always blind they never know who the next guest is going to be you have a question that's been posed to you from josh walker of exhale brewery in Walthamstow, london Um, and he's asking cost of living has kind of been something that's been very prevalent in the news and stuff recently energy prices are going up everybody's prices of raw materials have gone up like malts hops those kind of things what kind of like innovative practices do you think breweries are going to start making to kind of still create very high quality products but without having to pass 100% of those costs onto onto customers or, or their wholesalers next question please it's <laughs> <laughs> a really it's, it's, it's a tough a, one. It's, it's a, a tough one, yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you, Josh. Um, I I don't know. I, there's so many different ways to look at this because it depends on which pocket of the UK you're sat in as you're listening to this. Mm. You know, the, there is that cost of living crisis that is, that is out there for everybody and everyone's feeling the pinch. Um, whether you're, you know, linked to the brewing industry or, or running a brewery listening to this or whether you are someone who's a fan of supporting their local brewery and is struggling because it is just naturally more expensive than going and buy macro beer. Um, it's a really difficult thing. I, you know, Harrogate is a better, nicely affluent place versus, <laughs> you know, I, I have to sort of admit that I, we yeah. are sat in a little bit of a bubble up here, if I'm being perfectly honest. It's not mm. to say we're not feeling the pinch, um, you know, on an individual level, the brewery. I mean, our malt prices went up 40% at the start of the year on top of how, you know, everyone knows about the energy costs, you know, going up hundreds of percent. And, you know, um, Darren at Siren um, is a really, really good guy to follow on social media if you really want to sort of Mm. learn a lot more about it than than I can sort of offer on here in terms of what breweries are are being faced with and, and then the wider hospitality industry as well. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really difficult question to to answer. In, in like I say, in terms of locality, um, and, and everyone's going to be experiencing it in different ways. My thing, if I cast my mind back to the financial crash in twenty eight two thousand eight nine, um, mm-hmm. which is as I mentioned, I lost my job and ended up working back behind a bar because I couldn't find a job in publishing anymore. I, you know, what I found there was talking to my manager at the time was there was an expectation that things were going to drop and disappear because people had less less money to spend on on sort of the nice things in life rather than the necessities but actually we found in our part of the world that people 
continued to go out of the way to, to treat themselves to quality. Mm. Um, so, I mean, from our point of view, you know, I, we've, we've done our best to not pass on um, everything we've experienced in terms of rises, roughly speaking, across the board. I think our prices have gone at 6% this year mm-hmm. in the okay. face of everything we've experienced. I think in the 10 years we've had the brewery, we've probably put our prices up four times. You know, we've done our best to swallow as much as we can. We always yeah. do because we, we we recognize how hard it is, despite this bloody year being what it is so far. You mm. know, versus Heineken coming out and putting their prices up by fifteen or nineteen percent or whatever's been reported, we've done our best yeah. to kind of hopefully absorb as much as we can and and, and hope that it, it we're able to kind of continue to remain affordable to to the to the trade customers that we deal with. Yeah. But then within that, that the wider hope is that people who drink whether it's beer or cider or buy food from from smaller independent places they recognize the value in what they're spending their money on it's mm-hmm. more likely to, to to sort of be returned to the local economy so i'm hopeful that that hopefully will just be less of a shock to the system overall that people will continue to find a way to, to treat themselves to, to the yeah yeah um, absolutely yeah I, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. I well, uh, well <laughs> it's your answer to the question. That's fine. I mean, you're saying about a six percent increase, and let's be honest, we did not like doing. That, you know, it's no, no. But I mean, even if you did, uh, let, let's be honest, six percent. When you look at how much other things, are, I, I received an email today saying that my mobile phone uh, contract is going up fourteen percent. You know, we all know how much our energy bills are going up. Uh, you know, later this year, and you know. Six percent is is hardly anything, really. So, um, and you know, I think, as you say, you're trying to pass on as little as possible of any increase to to your customers. And I, I guess, you know, if people still persist in, you know, in, in their habits and still buying beer from you guys, then yes, you might make a little bit less than you had done in previous years. But hopefully, it'll be that kind of relationship where you can still make enough to keep going. They can still afford to buy your beers and simple as yeah. that. It's, you know, it, the, the other, you know, there's, there's the trade supply, you know, pubs have really got it hard. So there's that, that's the 6% that I'm talking about. Um, mm. You know, direct to consumer for us, our web shop prices haven't changed in. Okay. Actually can't remember how many years, you know, we've, we've never really kind of, they, they certainly haven't been, been adjusted. we, I suppose I was just going to think. I was going to say, in terms of, in terms of, you know, if you think back to the pandemic when mm. we were most at risk, we we survived that pandemic because of, like, lots of other breweries, because of the incredible support we saw from people who went, yeah. right, I'm going to get on their website and buy their beer. So mm. we've we've done our best to kind of just not. Fundamentally, our staff need to be considered, and that's where that six percent really kind of is it lies is our mm. staff are experiencing the same and um cost of living crisis as everybody else yeah um but we also have we also just feel that the the way that we were supported by our core drinkers if you like during that pandemic is so fresh in our memory we we just didn't feel like we would be you're cutting your nose off despite your face if you if you just go right we need to put 15 percent through yeah, and you, and you, exactly. And you have to consider everything that pubs are, pubs are experiencing as well. So we've 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 put through the bare minimum we can, and we, like I said, we no one likes to do that, but we've we've tried to do it as 
as sparingly as we can. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fantastic. So you know where this is going, don't you? Could you pose a question to the next guest? Yeah, I hope I'm going to pose a question that is easier to answer. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's not tough. (laughs) um, To the next brewer, my question would be, of every beer that has been brewed and commercially successful to date that is not your own, which one do you wish you'd come up with? Okay. Yeah. Nice question. Okay. Fantastic. I will put that forward to the next guest and we'll see what answer that uh, that comes up with. Tom, it's been fantastic chatting with you this evening. Um, fascinating listening to the history of the brewery and what you've been up to, of course, in your era of that 30 years um, and what's coming up later this year as well with all those great collaborations and the beer festival so um look forward to a wonderful year for you congratulations again on 30 years and here's to many many more thank you very much i've really enjoyed it i appreciate the opportunity to tell our story excellent brilliant thanks again tom cheers thanks again to tom for his time and don't forget to get your tickets for suds with buds which is on Saturday the 1st of July. Tickets go on sale from the 1st of March. And also get your hands on the first of their 30th anniversary collaboration project beers, Assassin's Trail, a collab with Elusive Brewing, a kind of fusion of Babyface Assassin and Oregon Trail. I mean, that just sounds incredible, doesn't it? Uh, That's being brewed tomorrow, if you're listening on the day of release of the podcast. Uh, There'll also be other collaborations throughout the year. And of course, their core beers and their other specials that they brew all the way through the year. So you can find those on their web shop and in bottle shops around the country, but probably mainly north of Sheffield. Uh, Before I leave you for another episode, just a quick mention that I paid a visit to the legendary Victoria Inn in Colchester last weekend and enjoyed four beers from their excellent lineup, starting with the Colonel Pale Ale, moving on to Rooster's Yankee on cask. Yes, I know, Colchester is south of Sheffield. Next up was uh, my first ever sampling of werewolf beer. Remember Rich White from the podcast back in November 2021? Uh, So I had one of his beers, which was great. And I finished there on the wonderful Hamilton Crunch uh, peanut butter stout. Love that beer. After that, I popped into two brew for a couple more. uh, Three Hills Pale Ale and the incredible king of the woodland from Left Handed Giant. I'll be heading back to the Bermondsey Beer Mile as well this week, and I may talk about that a little in the next episode, but it's a big one. It's the Homebrew Special. It's going to be recorded live at Hopstop in Rygate with special guest Fraser Withers from Middlechild Brewery. We'll be tasting beers from around 12 homebrewers and giving some feedback. Fraser will also be on hand for a Q&A, and I'm sure he'll also fill us in on the latest news from the brewery we'll also be speaking to james from hopstop about what's going on with his bar um, and james will also be giving some feedback from the beers as well it will be a very sparsely edited episode as i'd like to give you all a feel of having been there during the recording so it kind of feels like you're listening to it live um, well of course that's for those who can't make it if you can If you're around, if you're near Rygate, or if you fancy travelling down to Rygate, then we'll see you there. That's Hopstop in Rygate on Thursday, the 2nd of March. We'll be starting from 7pm. So get there a little bit early, have a couple of beers. Thanks for listening. 
Cheers.